In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ is in our midst. Every year during this reading on the clergy forum, uh, someone sends out a pronunciation list of all those names, and I'm sure I wrecked it either way. Another priest joked that he was going to add a few Star Wars characters in just to see if anybody noticed. And uh, then another priest said, who would know if you mispronounced them anyways, right? Because they're not familiar names. Anyways, we come to the genealogy of Christ today, and it's a precarious genealogy. Now, when we think about genealogies in our modern day and age, we're thinking mostly scientifically. We're thinking about getting a DNA swab and tracking our ancestors to their various lands. And then if we have a list of a genealogy um, of our family, more than likely it's been researched and there's been a lot of effort uh, put into nailing it down so that it's um, as close to accurate as possible. But Matthew's uh, genealogy isn't really about accuracy. And it isn't particularly about presenting anything in a scientific way. Matthew's genealogy is uh, theological. It is making a point about Jesus. And he says this point in the very beginning of the genealogy when he says that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. That is, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abraham that his generation would be as the sands of the sea and that is a fulfillment of the prophecy to David that it would, uh, out of David would rise a seed. Uh, uh, um, uh, so this is a prophecy ultimately. These prophecies are that he is the messianic one who is to come. Now in this in this genealogy, there are, you heard uh, Matthew make it clear that there are three sets of 14. And interestingly enough, if you count the names, they don't always add up to 14. Uh, secondarily, they're not the same amount of years in each set of 14. One set is 750 years in between, with those genealogies, uh, with the names that he presents. Another set is much shorter than that, and the other set is on average. But again, when we read the scriptures, we have to understand or try to understand what's being done and not project our image into them, thinking that this is a, a merely a scientific document. The first set of the genealogy comes directly from uh, the scriptures. It comes from, um, excuse me, I know Chronicles, and then the other one, I lost it. So there you go. That's why you write down your sermons, um, which I haven't done in a little while. But we, we have to move ahead to the, to the point. And one of the points that you might be asking yourself, but all of this leads down to Joseph, and he's gone through great pains to make this theological point, but Joseph isn't even Jesus' father, technically because this Christ is con conceived of the Virgin Mary and uh, she's a virgin 
and the Holy Spirit overshadows her. So all of this effort expanded leading to Joseph, but Joseph's not even the biological father, as we would say nowadays. Now, some would say, that, of course, that, that this, um, and Joseph is her legal father, and so this is a legal lineage that shows that Jesus is in this tribe of this lineage, and of course, that is partially what Matthew is trying to do. He's trying to make the case to the Jews and to other people that this is exact, you know, that this Jesus is the fulfillment of what is to come. But we can also look at this genealogy and we see things like that there are Gentiles in it. Because if you are going to make something that brings forth the Christ, or at least as we think as modern people, if we were going to produce a mythology where our superhero comes from, more than likely we're going to have some sort of pedigree. And we're going to want that pedigree to be fairly pure and we're going to want that pedigree to, in a sense, have the same story leading up to the ultimate person, the Messiah. But in Jesus' pedigree, we see three harlots, we see Gentiles, or we see three women, Gentiles, and um, a few of those women are harlots. And so what you see is that um, Jesus isn't over, only the Savior for the Jews, but this is an indication that Jesus is also a savior for the Gentiles. And that he doesn't come from straight holiness in the sense, in any sense, because ultimately in the end we know that Jesus is someone who's given to us directly by God. And I think that's a moment worth contemplating for our own spiritual lives and in the genealogy in general. In the end, Jesus is born without a human father. And what that means is, is that this is God's direct intervention into history. So for us spiritually, looking at Matthew's theology and what he's doing theologically with this genealogy, I think we should recognize in our own lives that many of us don't have, are not purebred, so to speak. We don't come from long lines of Christianity, possibly. We don't come from long lines of healthy families, possibly. But most of us come from, on some level, a brokenness and a history that not only has its highs, just like the history of Israel, but also has its lows. Not only has its heroes, but also has its harlots, its broken, its lowly moments. And some of the highs and the lows are the same. Just as we look at uh, David, who although he has a heart for God and is at the height of the tradition, nonetheless is a murderer and adulteress. If we take those, these thoughts and realize that we don't come from a pure place. We also have to add into that our own personal histories, that we are often broken and dysfunctional ourselves. Not only do we have our past, but we reinitiate it into the present, and that we're often broken. Yet in the end, God intervenes. 
God intervenes by overshadowing the virgin and he brings forth Christ. What this means is that despite the faithfulness of Israel or the lack of faithfulness, as you read the Old Testament and you read their history, you realize more often than not it's a lack of faithfulness. We too participate often in this lack of faithfulness. And yet, very encouragingly, God is faithful. When we are not faithful, God is faithful. And he will bring about those things that he wills to accomplish in us. Oftentimes, whether we are fully faithful or not. And so, at the end of this, when we see Jesus being born of the, the Virgin Mary betrothed to Joseph, we are to take great hope in the intervention of God in history. Great hope in God's ability to, under, to overcome all of the brokenness that's in this world, all of the disappointment, and to somehow appear within time, within our lives, and transform the brokenness into health. When we are unfaithful, when Israel is unfaithful, ultimately, God is always faithful. And so let us put our hope in him, put our hope in Christ, so that we may ultimately be vindicated by our faith, not by our pedigree, not by how per perfect we think we are or how perfect we want to be, but ultimately by God's intervention in our own lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ is in our midst.